0: just been going through the book verse by verse, so we're going to go through all of chapter four today. So the book of Galatians is written by the apostle Paul, and it's written to a group of churches in in an area referred to as Galatia. And Paul is writing to address a specific issue and a specific problem that he sees in the church in Galatia. And these are churches that he set up and he founded, and so he's writing them to let them know like, hey, there's a problem, we need to address the problem. And the problem is this group of people called the Judaizers who have come in and infiltrated the church, and they've told people that to be saved, you actually need more than just faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says that to be saved, we need to put our faith in Jesus Christ. What these Judaizers say is to be saved, you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ and convert to Judaism and follow the Jewish laws and customs and be circumcised. So Paul is writing this letter to refute that and to, to set the people in the churches of Galatia straight. So today we're going to be looking at chapter 4 and this is the, this is right in the center of the book of Galatians and this is where Paul is talking about doctrine and theology. All right, so we're going to start in verse chapter 1 or verse 4, sorry, chapter 4 verse 1. The first 7 verses of this book, Paul or this chapter, Paul is referring to our status as heirs in the family of God. So verse 1 he says what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. So here Paul is saying, while you're a child, you're like in a learning status. Verse 2, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by the father. So he's saying until the, uh, a child has grown, is ready to move and transition, God has put guardians in their life. God keeps boundaries around us to keep us safe while we're in that stage. Verse 3. So also, when we are underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So here... Paul says that when God determined it was the perfect time, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to redeem mankind. Aren't you grateful? He sent Jesus to pay the price and purchase you and me, to pay the debt that we owed, to redeem us. He bought us, and then he brings us into the family of God. You and I are not alone. We are brought by Jesus into the family of God. Verse 6. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, and the spirit calls out, Abba, Father. So here he said, he's made us sons, he's brought us into the family, and we are heirs. And then he put the Holy Spirit in us, and the Holy Spirit allows us to call out, Abba, Father. If you have kids, or if you've had kids, you probably remember when they were young, and kids oftentimes... Will run to their fathers and, and run to them, and they don't care how important what the father is doing. They don't care if he's in the middle of a business meeting or he's preaching a sermon. They will just run to him and say, Dad, Dad, you got to see this. Dad, you got to see what's going on in my life. And what Paul is saying here is the Holy Spirit inside of us enables us to look at God in that same way and cry out, Abba, Father, and to realize we have a Father that wants a relationship with us. He's never too busy. He's never too far from us. He always wants us to run to him and to call him dad. Verse seven, you are no no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So here he's saying that our status is we are a part of the family of God and you and I are God's children. He brought us into the family, and we're heirs to everything that our Father has, which means no matter what you face in your life, even if you feel like you lack, you are lacking nothing because God has everything that you need for everything that he's called us to. Because you're a part of the family, you're an heir. If you find yourself in a situation that is impossible and a miracle is needed, I have good news for you. We serve a God who loves to do miracles and specializes in that which is impossible. If you find yourself running short on grace, if you spent all the grace you have on the people in your life and you've got none none left to give, I've got good news. Your dad is all grace personified. All grace is inside of him. If you find yourself hurt and you feel like, you know what? I don't even think I can forgive this person. I have good news. Forgiveness runs in the family. You can forgive because your dad is a forgiver. If you were, this morning you find yourself running low on hope and you feel hopeless, all hope comes from your God. Everything you need for life can be found in God. And he goes on to verses 8 through 20. And verses 8 through 20 is, is both a warning and it's an encouragement. Verse 8, he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. So here Paul is saying, before you met God, before you gave your life to God, you served false gods. And most of us know that that's very true, that before we gave our life to Christ, we served other false gods that were not good gods at all. Verse 9, but now that you know God, or rather you are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved to them all over again? So here Paul is saying, now you've come into relationship with God, and are you going to turn around and go back to those gods that you used to serve? Are you going to put yourself back in slavery to them, back in bondage to those things that you used to serve? Verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 10. You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. So here Paul is talking about how the Judaizers have influenced the church in Galatia, and they're following Jewish laws and customs, and they're observing special seasons that the Jewish people were following. He's saying, you're, you guys are slipping back into these old patterns. Verse 11, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. He's saying, I'm worried that you're going back to something you've already been delivered from. You're forsaking the freedom that I brought to you. You're forsaking the freedom that Jesus paid for for you and me, And you're going back and putting yourself in bondage again. Verse 12, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. Here Paul's saying, look at my life. I'm not following these customs. I'm not doing any of that stuff. And it's not harming me what you're doing. You're harming yourself what you're doing. Verse 13, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you, and even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God or as if I were Jesus Christ himself. So Paul, when he first came to Galatia and preached on his first missionary journey there, he's saying when he preached, he preached through physical challenges that we were having. And we don't know exactly what those challenges were, but he had some kind of illness or infirmity and he's saying he preached through those things, and it seems like whatever that thing was that he had, it had him not looking so good. And he said it could have been like a stumbling block, but you still received me even though I wasn't looking good and didn't feel well. Uh, verse 15, where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given, given them to me. He's saying you guys were so blessed by what I was preaching by the message that I preached, that if you had to, you would have torn your eyes out and given them to me so that I could finish preaching. So some of you might have heard this phrase before, uh, a thorn in your flesh. It's a phrase that Paul used, I think it was in 2 Corinthians, where he talked about having a thorn in his flesh. He had some type of physical thing he was dealing with, and he cried out to God and asked God to take it away from him, and God didn't take it away from him. And we don't know what that thorn in the flesh is, but many people have speculated that the physical thing Paul was dealing with was an issue with his eyesight. He might have been blind or partially blind or something like that. And this is one of the verses that make people think that, where he says to them, if you could have, you would have torn your eyes out and given them to me. And that's part of the reason that people wonder if he was struggling with blindness. Verse 16, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? So he's saying, you guys received me, and we were friends. Are we not friends anymore? Like, are you guys going to reject me because I'm telling you the truth and challenging you on a place of sin in your life? Verse 17, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. He's saying, these these Judaizers want to steal you, They want you to think like they do, and they're anxious to get you on their side, but they have evil intentions. They're not looking out for your good. They're looking out for themselves. Verse 18, it's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I'm with you. So here Paul's saying, it's fine to be passionate. I'm glad you're a passionate people, but you got to be passionate about the right things, and you got to be passionate about the things of God. And you can't just do it when the Apostle Paul shows up. you got to do it in front of these Judaizers when I'm not there to back you up. you got to be passionate about the things of God then when you're facing persecution. Verse 19, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So there Paul's saying, I would go through the pain that I went through to lead you guys to Christ all over again. The pains of childbirth, he called it. I'd go through that pain all over again until I saw Jesus being formed in you. Just about everything that you're walking through in your life, the hard stuff that you're up against right now, the challenges that you have, God will take those things and if you let him, he will use those things to make you look more like Jesus. He'll use them to change your character, to change the places that you're broken inside so that you can become like Jesus. So whatever you're walking through right now, God wants to use that challenge to make you more like Jesus. Verse 20, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. He's saying, I wish I could be with you and get you on the right track. But the way things are going, the way you're acting right now, I'm kind of worried about you. I'm worried about the direction this thing is going. And I'm not sure if you're actually going to follow Jesus with your life or if you're going to follow these Judaizers. Then he goes on to the next section in the chapter. It's section verses 21 through 31. And this is where he talks about the law versus grace. And in this section, he uses a story as an analogy to help them understand a deep truth that he wants to teach them. Similarly to how I might use a story as an illustration to teach you something that I'm trying to teach you. And he picked a story that they were all super familiar with and it's a story that some of us might be a little bit familiar with, but probably none of us are as familiar with this story as the people he was talking to. He started talking to them about the story of Abraham. It's a story all of them would have been very familiar with. They would have known exactly what he was talking about, which is why the Apostle Paul picked that story. Pastor Ben started to tell you a little bit about that story last week, and we're going to look at it a little bit more this morning. Verse 21, he says, tell me... You who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what's in the law or what the law says? So here he's saying, like, you guys are are wanting to come under the law that these Judaizers are trying to put on you. Do you even know what's in the law? Do you even know what you're signing up for? I don't think you do. Verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh But his son by the free woman was born as a result of divine promise. So he says, Abraham has two sons. He has Isaac and Ishmael. One was born through fleshly means. Ishmael was born by Abraham trying to make it happen in his own strength. And the other, Isaac, was born because of the promise of God. If you're not familiar with the story, I'll tell you a little bit about it this morning. So Abraham is this guy that shows up back in the book of Genesis, like in the beginning of the Bible, and Abraham Abraham is old and his wife is old. They're like 90 years old. And God shows up and he speaks to Abraham, and he tells Abraham that he has a plan for his life. He tells him he's going to make him the father of many nations, that his descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky, and that through his family tree, through his line, All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And when he says that, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus coming through Abraham's family line and blessing all the people of the world. It's like this incredible promise. Like, not only does your your life have purpose, it also has the biggest purpose in human history. It's like this incredible promise. But there's one problem. Abraham doesn't have any kids. And his wife is old. She's 90 and they've tried to have kids for years, and she's barren, and they haven't been able to have kids. So Abraham is like, well, God, like that's an awesome promise and all, but it doesn't seem like it's happening. I'm trying to make it happen. I'm giving it my best shot, but it's, it's not working out as it turns out, and my wife's not getting pregnant. So Abraham is like, well, you know, God had this great promise and this great plan. Maybe God needs my help. You ever had a thought like that? Like, God made me a promise, but it's not happening in the time that I thought it should happen. It's not happening in the way that I, that I, uh, I should have made it, it should have happened. So maybe God needs my help. If you have that thought, go ahead and throw that thought, thought out. You're about to do something stupid. Like, ten kinds of stupid is what you're about to be every single time. So David goes, not David, that's a lie, Abraham <laughs> Abraham goes to his wife, Sarah, and he starts talking to her about this problem, and he's like, we got this problem, like God made us this promise, but it's not happening, like what are we going to do? And he's like, you know, maybe we've got this house cleaner, Hagar, like maybe I could sleep with her and make a baby with her. And his wife says, okay, let's do it. Now, if I was Abraham's friend, I would be like, Abe, listen, this is a trap. I know your wife said it's okay, but trust me, she's lying. This is a trap. You're going to get in trouble. We're all going to get in trouble. You're about to blow this thing up. Like, I don't even want to be there when she kills you. It's going to be real bad. But Abraham went ahead and went ahead with the plan, and he has a baby with his house cleaner, Hagar, which is just a horrible name, like hag for short. It's just not good. So he has a baby with, with his house cleaner. And that baby's name is Ishmael. And that baby grows up, becomes a teenager. But remember, God made a promise. And he said that through Abraham's wife, he was gonna ha- she was going to have a baby. And because God made that promise, it comes to be. Because I'm telling you, when God speaks to you a promise in your life, it is going to happen. Come hell or high water, you will see it happen on the other side. God will fulfill what he promises. So Sarah has a baby. So now we got this little infant, like toddler, like walking around, stumbling around the house, Isaac, and we've got Ishmael, the teenager in the house, and there's this really weird, dark thing that happens. Like if you're a teenager and there's another baby in the house, like you should be like helping it, picking the baby up, playing with it, laughing at it, like enjoying this baby. But Ishmael's not doing that. Ishmael's picking on Isaac. Ishmael is hurting Isaac. Ishmael is mocking Isaac. So he's got these two sons and there's this constant division and tension and dissension in the home because Abraham disobeyed God. And I'm not even exaggerating when I tell you that same tension that was under Abraham's roof, we're still watching that tension play out in the Middle East today. It's those two family. People talk about tension in the Middle East. It's Ishmael's family tree and Isaac's family tree, and they're still at war today. This is kind of a big mistake that Abraham made going out there trying to make it happen in his own strength. And honestly, that's what happens when you and I go out there and try and make it happen in our own strength and try and force the promise of God to happen instead of waiting. So then Paul says, in this analogy that I gave you of Ishmael and Isaac, these two sons represent two covenants. They represent the law, and they represent grace. Ishmael represents the law, and Isaac represents grace. He says this in verse 24. It says, these things are being taken figuratively. The woman represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. So Hagar gives birth to Ishmael and this represents the old covenant. She's representing living in the flesh. And Isaac represents life in the spirit, represents living under the covenant of grace. Verse 26 and 27. But but the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother for it is written be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than than of her who has a husband. So this is a little confusing, but what happens there is Paul is actually quoting a prophetic word from Isaiah 54.1, and that prophetic word is speaking of Sarah who received this promise from God, and it's telling her the God who made the promise to you is going to fulfill the promise to you. Even though right now it seems like that's not going to happen, he is going to fulfill his promise. Verse 28, Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. So ultimately, Sarah stands on the promise of God, and she conceives a child. And this is what God is calling us to do, is to stand on his promises. Verse 29, at that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit, and it is the same now. So Paul says that Ishmael was persecuting Isaac, and the same is happening now, implying that those following the law are trying to tear down those who are trying to live life according to the Spirit. Verse 30, but what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will, not, will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. So Abraham puts Hagar and Ishmael out of the house. The child, Ishmael and Isaac, they couldn't live under the same roof. I mean, just imagine that for a second. Like, put yourself in Abraham's shoes. He's got, he's got a child with, with the house cleaner and a child with... His wife, the promise of God, and the the teenage boy is picking on the infant and mocking him. And like it's causing all this tension. And he's like, these two kids can't live in the same house. So he kicks Ishmael and Hagar out of the house. In other words, he's saying there's no inheritance for those who live according to the law and live according to the flesh. These two sons represents two covenants. And Paul is saying you can't live in two covenants. You can't live with one foot in one and one foot in the other. And there's no inheritance. There's no salvation for those who live according to the law. So put the law out of your life and embrace grace. Verse 31, the last verse in the chapter says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Paul is saying we are children of the free Bought with a price, he has redeemed us and adopted us into the family of God. We're not trying to earn our way into salvation. We're not trying to sing our way into salvation or dance our way into the salvation. How many of you guys know people that say, well, I'm just trying to make sure the good deeds of my life outweigh the bad deeds of my life. A lot of people live that way. And Paul's saying, nope, that's never going to work. You can never work your way into salvation We are saved by the promises of God. You and I are children of the free and we're not going back to a salvation of works where we try and earn our salvation. The law, the thing that gets a little bit confusing about this is the law has principles that will actually bless your life. Like if you look at the Ten Commandments, those are principles that will actually bless your life. a number of years ago, the Ten Commandments were, were taken out of the schools. You guys will probably remember when that happened. And I would say the degradation that has happened since that time has not been good. Schools don't look like schools used to. And why is that? It's because the, the principles in the Ten Commandments will bless your life. As it turns out, society is better when you don't kill each other. Kind of simple, right? Like I know it's a crazy idea. The world is a better place when you don't covet your neighbor's wife, as it turns out. It's going to go better for you and I. Life is going to be better if you honor your father and mother. Like, these are great principles in our life, but following those principles don't provide salvation for anybody. Not for you, not for me. There's principles that we'll, we can walk in that will lead to blessing in our life, but following those principles do not provide for us salvation. We're saved because we put our faith in the Son of God, and it makes us heirs to the promise of God. I want to go back and look at two specific verses, and I'm going to kind of smash them together. It's verse 23 and 31. It says, His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of divine promise. Verse 31, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. I want to ask you this morning, who is your mama? Who is your mama? Is it Hagar or is it Sarah? Are you walking in the old covenant or walking in the new covenant? Are you still trying to earn your way into salvation? Are you trying to do enough good deeds to stay in God's good graces? Are you receiving fresh grace from God every day? The Bible is broken in half. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament, or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Remember, the book of Galatians is written to confront the Galatian church about these Judaizers who have infiltrated the church, and they said to be saved, to be really, truly saved, you needed to convert to Judaism, you need to be circumcised and follow these Jewish laws and traditions. In general, I think it's a really good idea to be careful anytime you hear someone say, you can't be saved unless. You can't be saved unless you follow this diet that we follow. You can't be saved unless you worship in this way. You can't be saved unless you dress this way. You can't be saved unless you follow the Sabbath on this specific day. If all, if you, if you, you can't be saved unless you're baptized in this way. The only unless that I will prescribe to is you can't be saved unless you put your faith in Jesus. That's the only unless that I prescribe to. If you try and put any of that other nonsense on me, I'm going to put you out of my life because I'm not playing any of those games. Jesus died on the cross for you and I to be free, not to walk around in slavery. And that's how Paul is talking to these Galatians. He's saying, you guys are trying to like go back to the bondage you used to be under. You're throwing away what Christ did at the cross. He died so you and I could be free. And who the Son sets free is free indeed, and it's a good thing. I don't know if you guys remember this, but back in the early 2000s, I think the engineers at Coke and Pepsi tried some weird drugs or something, I don't know. But they started like adding all of these flavors. It was like vanilla Coke. Lemon, lime, Pepsi. You guys remember that? I don't know what they were thinking. They were crazy, but I was at, I was in New York City at the time. It was like around 2002, I think, something like that. And I was doing an internship there with the Bible school that I was going to, and I used to love playing basketball. That's what I used to try and do with most of my free time. So I would go to the, these parks, and I would play basketball, and I met this guy and he invited me to play on his team, so I played on his team. And then he, he would call me and tell me anytime time they were playing, and we would go play. And he, I found out that he had a relationship with God when he was younger, but he had walked away from the Lord. So through this relationship and through some friendships and some time we had, I was able to lead this guy back to the Lord. But he struggled. He, was, he had some addiction in his life, and he was addicted to sin. And he would struggle, and he was like, it was this constant back and forth. And uh, one night, I, I had called him, to, I called him earlier in the day to try and see if we were going to get together, and I missed his message. He, I didn't have cell phones back then because I'm old, so he would have call and leave a message on like an answering machine. And I, I missed his message, and he called me, and he told me he wasn't doing well, and he was struggling. He asked me if I could come pray with him. I didn't get the message. And I kind of had a feeling that he was not going to be in a place that was going to be good for him. So I got some friends together and we went looking for my friend that I had made. And we went and we found him and he wasn't doing good and he was in a place that he shouldn't have been in. And so we, we took him out of that place and uh, we went and we, were, we went to a, a we were gonna, it was a Sunday morning. We were going to try and go to church. And we got down to the subway and we had missed the subway we needed to get on to get to the church we needed to go to. So we just sat down on a bench down in the subway. And we started talking to him about how Jesus had paid the price to deal with his sin. How he didn't have to walk around in in sin and shame. And he was just like, I don't know if you've ever been in that place where you had given yourself over to sin and you feel like you're just carrying a thousand pounds on your shoulders. You just feel like a failure. You feel beat up by sin. And that's how this friend that I had made felt. So we were talking to him about how Jesus sees him and the fact that he's free and he doesn't have to carry around that weight anymore. Jesus took it to the cross and he's forgiven, forgiven him. And he's the way Jesus sees him, he's whiter than snow. And he said, you know, I feel like I need to take communion or something, which was kind of weird because I don't know why he would have come to that conclusion or how he would have come to that. Maybe it was something from his childhood. I don't know. So I looked around and we didn't, you know, it wasn't like this morning where we had a table set up. Like we didn't, we didn't have anything, you know. My friend opened his backpack and he had a box of nerds and he had some Pepsi lemon lime. And so he he looks down in his backpack, and he kind of looks up at me, and he's like, I don't know. I said, let's do it. Let's take communion. And I'm not kidding you when I say this was the most powerful time of communion I ever had in my life. And there are some jokers that would look at that, and they'd be like, you guys didn't take communion. Come on. Like, it's got to be Welch's grape juice, or else it's not going to turn into the blood. Like, come on. It's got to be unleavened. Were those nerds leavened? Like, come on. Were the nerds leavened? And we get all weird and we get all like, we come up with all these rules and regulations and all these things. And I think Jesus just looks at that and he's like, You guys are missing it. You're like the people at the church in Galatia that are trying to put more laws and regulations and rules on top of people. When I see their heart and I care about their heart, and I think because Jesus saw our heart that morning in the in the train station waiting for the subway he showed up and he set us free. And he didn't only set free that person that was trapped in sin. I left in a more free place that day after taking communion with nerds and Pepsi, lemon, lime, which wasn't all that good. And people were always trying to do this with Jesus, trying to put rules and, and regulations on him. And Jesus is just freedom. Everywhere he goes, it's just freedom, freedom, freedom. In fact, if you walk through the New Testament Jesus doesn't actually seem to ever get mad at sinners. The people he gets mad at and gets frustrated are the religious people that are adding rules and regulations and trying to make it more difficult for people to follow him. There was one specific time where there was this guy who needed to be healed, and uh, Jesus healed him. And the religious leaders came around and they're like, we caught you. It was the Sabbath. You shouldn't have been working on the Sabbath. You healed him, so you must have done work. You shouldn't have been doing that. And Jesus is like, oh, man, these jokers again. Like, they just never quit, coming up with more rules and regulations. So he says to them, what if you got a sheep and he falls in a hole? What are you supposed to do? Like, let him lay there and die? No, you help the sheep out of the hole. And how much more does God care about people than he does sheep? These people thought they had them trapped. But then, I promise you, what those people probably did is they went and turned that into a formula. And they went, okay, to keep the Sabbath, you're only allowed to help sheep out of a hole, but there has to be two people, one on each side, so you're not doing too much work. It's like they just keep turning things into rules and regulations. And Jesus says, no, I came to set you free. Salvation comes by grace through faith alone. By grace through faith alone. It was a grace gift of God. And all you have to do is exercise your faith and believe. And it was true then and it's true now. And this is the message that Paul was fighting for. Paul hammers this message home just about every time he's given an opportunity. Anytime someone gives him a platform, time somebody gives him a pen, Paul hammers this message alone. That salvation comes by grace through faith. And this still happens today, where people try and put rules and regulations on people. They say, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to dress a certain way. You have to eat this food or don't eat that food. You have to have this certain behavior. It's the gospel of works. And I believe if Paul were here today, if he were to come up on somebody trying to tell you that sort of thing, he would say, run, don't walk. That's nonsense. It's a false gospel, and we don't want anything to do with it. Isaac was a word by God, fulfilled by God. Remember, God promised Abraham that he was going to be the father of a great nation, and through his family tree, all nations were going to be blessed. That's the promise of God. And then we have Sarah, Abraham's wife, and she's barren. She's like 90 years old. She can't have kids, but God opens her womb, and Isaac is born. Isaac was a gift of grace. And we have Ishmael. Ishmael was a word from Abraham. It was Abraham's idea. It was fulfilled by Abraham. It was an act of the flesh. Abraham didn't think God was going to do what he promised, so he tried to take it in his own hands and produce what he wanted. Ishmael was a work of the flesh. This is what this chapter is about. This is what it really boils down to, is are you going to do life man's way or God's way? Ishmael by the flesh according to the course of nature, Isaac by the promise when the course of nature there was no reason to expect it. This is what this chapter really boils down to is, are you going to do life your way or God's way? I think probably most of us have experienced what life is like when we try and do it our own way, like Abraham did. When we try and go out and make it happen on our own, try and do our own thing, try and do what makes sense to us, try and do life our own way, and probably most of you ex- have experienced the pain and brokenness that follows trying to do life your own way. How many of you have experienced that for yourself when you try and do life your own way? The pain that follows, and the blessing that follows when you are willing to do life God's way. Would you bow your heads this morning? I just want to give you a little bit of time with the Lord this morning to look at that question. Are you trying to do life your way or God's way? I'm going to ask you guys a few questions while I just give you some time with him. What dream has God put in your heart? What promise has God given you? For Abraham is that he'd be the father of a great nation. Maybe for you the dream was, the dream of a family, or a marriage, or a job, or to be out of debt, or to have a life that had meaning. What's the dream or the promise that God put in your heart? Maybe you, you feel like you, you, there's a dream in your heart to be over some internal battle you've struggled with. Maybe it's freedom from addiction. Maybe it's a physical healing. Maybe it's freedom from fear, or anxiety. Maybe it's come out of depression and walk in joy. Maybe there's a generational curse that's haunted your family and the dream was to be free from under that thing. What is the promise that God has given you, the dream that he put in your heart? What's the dream that God gave you that's too big for you to do on your own? Too big for you to do on your own strength? What have you done with the promise that God gave you, the dream he put in your heart? Abraham went out and tried to make it happen in his own strength. And for some of you, that's exactly what you've done. You've tried to make it happen in your own strength, and now you're looking at your life and there's just a mess all around you. Some of you have worn yourself out trying to make it happen in your own strength. Some of you, God gave you this dream, this promise, and it seems like it just took too long, and you lost hope. It didn't happen in the way that you expected to. It didn't happen in the time that you expected to, and you lost hope. I believe this morning, God is asking us to believe again. He's asking us to hope again. He's asking us to expand our faith And believe that he'll do what he said he would do. You can just stay in that place. I want to invite the ministry team up this morning. Just this week, I I sat in the parking lot here at church, and I felt like I was holding a dream that was just shattered. I was holding a, a promise from God that felt like it was destroyed. Like, God, I thought you said this was going to happen, but as sure as heck looks dead right now. God, I thought you said you were going to do this. Like, doesn't look like it's going to happen right now. And some of you are in that place where you feel like you're holding a shattered, destroyed dream. A dream that God gave you, a promise that he made to you. And it just feels like that feels so far gone right now. It just feels destroyed. And I felt like God asked me to pick that promise up again and to exercise faith and to begin to believe that he would do what he said he would do. And I feel like that's what God's asking of each one of us this morning, to pick up the promise, to pick up the dream, and to begin to believe again that God is a God who will do what he said he would do. He's the kind of God that you can trust, the kind of God that you can believe in and put your hope in. Maybe this morning some of you are in that place where the dream or the promise that God gave you just feels like it's shattered in pieces on the floor. You feel like you don't even have the faith to believe this morning. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come up And just to stand with one of the people here up front, somebody who can stand with you and can lend their faith to you. This is part of the value of being a part of the family of God, is in the times when we feel like we've lost hope and we've lost faith. We can stand next to someone and we can borrow their faith. They can speak hope into us and they can begin to stir our faith. So if that's you this morning, if you're in that place where you feel like there's a dream or a promise that God has given you. And it just feels like it's broken. You can't even stir up the faith and the hope on your own. I want you to just respond and come forward and stand with one of the people that are up here. And just let them pray for you. Let them minister to you. Or maybe this morning you're at a place where you feel like you've been trying to do life your way. And it's not going so well. You say, you know, I don't even totally know what following Jesus looks like. I don't even totally know what, it, what it's like, but I want to give it a try. What I'm doing on my own is not working. I'm just spinning my wheels and making a mess everywhere I go. I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to pray for you guys this morning, and then if you feel to respond, I just want to encourage you to come up and stand with one of the people on our ministry team and let them minister to you. Lord, I thank you for each person who's here again. And right now I lift up to you those people specifically who are Super discouraged, who feel like the dream that was in their heart, the promise that you made them, it just is shattered on the floor. It looks so far away from where they hoped it would look. And we just come to you and we ask you to stir our faith again. Lord, I ask that faith would arise in the heart of each person here who feels discouraged this morning, and we would begin to believe you for that which is impossible. We, will be, we begin to believe that you're the God that will do what you said you would do. And you specialize in that which is impossible. You specialize in picking up the pieces and making something beautiful. Lord, I ask you to, to bless each one as they go from this place today. In your name I pray, amen. If you don't feel to respond, I just ask you to take your conversations to the foyer to respect those people who are going to respond today. Bless you.